0: Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more info, you can check us out on Facebook at Life Church of Columbia. Before I do, though, uh, Eli, will you do me a favor? Will you run in my office? Right beside, when you walk in beside my desk right there, there's a big painting. Will you bring it to me? Thank you, bud. I got to share this with y'all because we've been sharing the story and the Meaning behind it all, and uh, so I finally got it, and I'm so excited about it. I've been actually taking it, this painting, in with me to prayer every time. Uh, it's just been, it's been amazing. Uh, so I want to share it with you guys this morning, just because I'm super excited about my new gift. Uh, if you want to go ahead and get ready, if you're taking notes, which I hope you are, uh, I know I know Kenny's taking notes. My title is on the screen, and you can go ahead and move to. Uh, Jason, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip some of those scriptures. So I, I'll let you know. I'm gonna start with Joshua one instead of Joshua seven. Thank you. But actually, can you hold it and turn around and show everybody? Yeah. 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 Look at this. Isn't this cool? For those of you, make sure you turn because our sanctuary is like this. Have you never modeled before? This is not your. <laughs> this it's is not, not your thing. Awesome. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to share really quick again, If you, those of you that have been tracking us for a while, uh, we were in a prayer revival, of an extended prayer revival at one point, and right over here in the corner of this sanctuary, God gave me a vision, three-part, three-day vision. The first day, I uh, went into prayer, and all I could see was this down, just this beautiful field with the river and this amazing tree, and I don't know if you can tell from there, but the, the leaves are like, whatever you call that. They change colors when they move, <laughs> They're amazing. This is, this is what I've seen in the vision. That was the first day I'd come out of it. The next day we come over and went back into prayer and I could see this much. Like I could see that above all this beauty was this really crazy storm. What was that taking place? Is that me? Uh, so anyway, that happened. Third day went back into it. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on it. I'm just super excited about it. Third day I got to see the rest of this and it was the bowl in heaven being poured out And it's kind of hard to tell from there, but where this is being poured out onto the ground, it's becoming this river that's creating all this. So what looks like crazy destruction, insane chaos, I don't know how to describe that, actually turns into this when it's brought into our realm. So it's really exciting. I had uh, my other mother, uh, I hope she gets to watch this at some point, Norma Tanton. She actually painted this for me. It was... It's been a long process because she didn't just say, oh yeah, I'm talented, I'll paint it. She took every scripture that I came to, she prayed over it. for. She said at one point she got halfway through, erased the whole thing. Well, I guess you can't erase this paint. Got a new canvas, started all over, she prayed through it, so it's, it's so incredible. I've been bringing it here and praying. This is what happens in prayer. If you don't know, in the book of Revelation, it teaches us that when we pray, we fill up bowls in heaven. And God eventually mixes those prayers with the incense of heaven and releases it on the earth. And it does miraculous, incredible things. That's what the vision is. So super excited about that. Thank you, Eli. You're the man. You can, uh, you can take it back down there. I don't want people distracted with it while I'm trying to teach. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Speaking of Eli, he gave me some incredible words of wisdom. Uh, and so I want to share them with you. He told me the other day that just because you're trash at something doesn't mean you can't be great. It's called a garbage can, not a garbage can't. <laughs> uh, so, so that's my next tattoo. I'm just no, I'm kidding. Uh, just thought that was really good. I love Eli. He's so much fun. Uh, one more. While we're just being so serious, uh, I got one more question for you. What do you call a cow that can't produce milk? A milk dud. That's good. That's just good right there. Oh, you're welcome. I got that from Stephen, actually. Uh, so, Woo! It's good in here this morning. So today I want to talk to you about... Jason, you go back to my title. I'm sorry. I jumped the gun. Today I want to talk to you about the frustration of expectation and just the title itself you could come up with some really good arguments in the negativity for it you could find ways to turn it that you'll be frustrated if your expectations are too high and just things like that there's a lot of ways but I want to show you uh, just what God began to show me for us right now and he did it which the way he does with me a, a lot of times is man I may have to switch Why is that doing that today? It's like it's not connected well. Found it. Try it one more time. Uh, The way he does me most of the time is I went through something, I tried it one more time. How about this one, Jason? What? Yes. Uh, For me personally, a lot of times if I get into something, it's because I went through something personally, thought it was all about me, and God takes it and turns it and begins to say, okay, I want to teach you something. And when God begins to teach you about something like frustration, as a preacher, you think, oh, great. (laughs) I told my wife, since I'm teaching on frustration, I guess that means I get to spend this whole two weeks frustrated at everything. And, and so that's exactly how it went. So just to let you know, for two weeks, I've been extremely frustrated. And I'm going to do my best not to take it out on y'all today, okay? Uh, but we've always said we don't like to preach things that we don't live. So how do I teach you to navigate frustration if I can't navigate it myself? Which I'm not saying I did perfectly by any means. But I want to show you this. What happened? I'm just going to set this up and tell you what happened. Uh, a few Sundays ago, I think, the, women, the night the women had the, their Christmas program, their Christmas night, party night, I was keeping the kids that night. And so I went up to my wife, the financial decision maker of our home, and I said, Hey, tonight, since I'm keeping the kids, I want to take them out and I want to go do something. And she said, No. I hate that word. It frustrates me. She said, No. We don't have the money right now. You can't do it. And I was just, oh, so frustrated. And she could tell right away, and she started, no, but this. I was like, look, I'm not frustrated at you. You're the voice of reason. I'm not frustrated at you. I'm frustrated at my bank account. And so I just began to go through this process and mentally, you know how it is. I went home. Me and the kids still had a great time. We stayed at home, ate a bunch of junk food, watched funny movies. It was a great night. But I was frustrated. Because I couldn't do in the moment what I wanted to do. And the frustration, I began to, at first, I began to go through the whole process of condemnation. Like, oh my gosh, you're not being grateful. You're not being thankful. You're not paying attention to everything you do have. You're just upset because you can't go blow money tonight and do what you want to do. And, and I started processing all that and going through it and beating myself up. And from that, the Holy Spirit began to turn it and begin to show me some things about expectations. And I began to realize I begin to realize that I was viewing this from the wrong perspective of what God was trying to show me. And he began to show me that the frustration I was experiencing was because of the expectation I have for my finances. I don't know about you, but I don't plan to be broke. Like that's I don't want to be broke. I don't want to I don't want to live without and so because of the place that I'm in right now, I expect that when I use my card, I'm going to get what I put in there. You see what I'm saying? So let me show you this. Before, when I was just, we have a single income household, and when I was only a youth pastor on a youth pastor salary, I had no expectation to be able to just go and blow like I wanted to. Because I knew, based on what I had coming in, that wasn't the possibility. So there wasn't even the frustration of wanting to do it because I had no expectation of ever being able to because I only made so much a year. Well, two, just over two years ago now, we started a construction company that has been growing and expanding and being successful. And so now... Based on what I do, my expectation of what I have has grown to a new level. So when I want to go do something like this, my expectation is I put in the work. I've done what's necessary. I should have in my account what I want to do what I want to do in the moment. So the very fact that I moved into another expectation brought along its own frustration that didn't exist when I was there. You see what I'm saying? Because I stepped into, now I am, I am extremely grateful with where family built has taken me and my family. Don't get me wrong. I was actually sharing with Courtney yesterday just my mind is almost blown at where we're at and some of the things that are happening in the company. That being said, I do want to share this testimony, I'm not going to go fully into everything I was telling my wife, but me and Courtney knew through a vision, through an incredible supernatural weekend where I went away to um, the Carolinas and went to a revival, just some things happened. God just lined some things out and told me, I knew for a fact I was supposed to start this company. So we got together, decided, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to start this company. Colby and Taylor found out, of course, because we do everything together. And Colby's like, you know what, bro? I'm in. Let's just do it. Let's go all in on this thing. Well, when we got ready to do this, for some reason, I'm starting a construction company. For some reason, the idea was, well, I'll just sell my truck, and I'll use all that money to buy the tools I need. I get it. It makes no sense. (laughs) How are you going to get the tools there? You don't have a truck. So I did. We put my truck up for sale. I sold it. I took every single dollar from selling my truck and we went and bought what we needed in the moment. Colby and Taylor ended up coming on board. They invested as well. We bought. But I got back, I got to looking at it. I was thinking, what was I thinking? What am I going to do for a vehicle? My wife drives a small little whatever she drove at the time, Hyundai. And, And so, anyway, that's what we did. We just bailed off and did it. We just sold the truck and just went for it. Well, two years in, because of where God has placed us and the grace that he's put on our lives, two years in, I got to take my wife and let her pick whatever vehicle she wanted off the showroom floor, floor and buy it brand new. No one's ever drove it but her. And then I got to go and pick the truck that I wanted and buy the truck for me, new, almost new, just as close as you can get, of anything I wanted. Two years in, why? Because God said, make a move, and we sold the truck, and we took a chance, and now he's blessed us, and we got to go out and do it. So I am forever grateful. And I wanna challenge you this morning. If God is pressuring that's a terrible word to use. If God is putting it on you to take a move in faith, to step out and do something, to go, and you know he's called you to do it, sell the truck. Whatever the truck is in your life, whatever it represents for you, sell it. Do what God has called you to do. Watch him bless it. Watch him work behind it. It's incredible. I was excited. It's amazing when God stuff does stuff like that. He's just so good. But on the side note, this is where this came from. I was standing in a position and I was frustrated because I couldn't do what I expected to be able to do in the moment. And I just want to give you this definition of frustration. It's an emotional response to opposition. It arises from the perceived resistance to the fulfillment of an individual's will or goal. And frustration is increased when that's, when said will or goal is denied or blocked. My will for that evening was to take my kids to altitude and jump for hours and eat pizza until we were sick. But in the moment, it got blocked by the fa- financial decision maker who knew my expectations were beyond my means. And so... When I began to look at this and God just began to show me some things about frustration in the body of Christ. And he began to give me this statement that there are levels of frustration that you don't even experience if you have no expectation. In other words, if you expect church to just be what it is, then you'll never become frustrated when it remains just what it is. If you're okay with showing up every single Sunday and God not being glorified and the miraculous not happening and people not being healed and the baptism not being filled up, if you have no expectation for that, then you'll be perfectly fine when none of that happens. But if you expect when I show up on Sunday, God's going to be there and people are going to get healed and people are going to get delivered and people are going to get set free, when that's your expectation and you leave those doors on a Sunday and it didn't happen, I'm frustrated. See, I'm just going to be real and start saying some of the stuff that we won't say. I leave more Sundays frustrated than excited. I'm just going to be honest because no one else can be. But I leave more times frustrated. And I leave asking the questions, but God, why? Why? Why do I read it during the week, but I don't see it on Sunday? Why do I read it every time of what they're doing in, 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 in Syria right now? What's happening in Afghanistan? What's happening across the world in the church? But I don't see it here right now. And so you know what? I'm frustrated. I'm just frustrated. I heard T.D. Jakes one time say, I'm just mad because you're not mad. I'm just mad because you're okay with it. I'm mad because everything's going this way and we're not expecting anything more than what we're seeing. And so I'm frustrated. So I begin to go into this and realize that if you move into because the Bible says we go glory to glory and faith to faith. Do you know what that actually means if you break that down when you go from one faith To another faith, it means you had a certain level of expectation here. But when you move to a new faith, your expectation goes up. Colby, before you had some of the encounters you had, it didn't bother you a bit to go to Home Depot and not pray for somebody. You couldn't. Because you know why? We didn't have the expectation. But now if we take a trip to Monroe, and we don't run into an opportunity for Colby to pray someone, I can feel the, man, what happened? This should have been... Why? Because we start living with expectations we never had before. In other words, before you were on the youth pastor's salary and you didn't expect to blow and go and do what you want. You expected to have just what you needed to get by. But when you get elevated into another area, then all of a sudden my expectation becomes elevated as well. And I expect to live in some things and experience some things. But when I'm not, it's frustrating. And the problem is we've deemed frustration so negative when it's a characteristic and an emotion that we find in God and Jesus. Both found themselves frustrated. The thing is, what do you do with it? How do we navigate this frustration? First, I want to start with if we're not frustrated, then it's because we have no expectation. We're just totally fine with the way that everything is. Can I tell you that the expectation in my marriage continues to grow constantly? Now, that would be easy to take and say, oh, well, that could be super negative. That could be, no, you know what it's doing? It's creating this lack. I'm going to go, That's so good I don't have to do it again. I want the level of expectation to stay up here and it begin to motivate me to go for those levels. To go after those kinds of things. So, what happens is the prophetic by nature. exposes you to new levels of frustration that you didn't have to deal with before you got the word. The prophetic by nature will expose you to levels of frustration you didn't have to deal with before you got the word. (laughs) Before he told me that I was going to lay hands on the sick, before he told me that I was going to preach the gospel, before he told me that I was going to be successful, before he told me that I was going to get this, before he told me, I didn't have the expectation at it, so I wasn't frustrated when I didn't. But once the prophetic word comes and gets into your life, it's gonna it by nature causes you to expect something you didn't expect before. And now that you expect it, you'll be frustrated when you don't see it. So I'm here to tell you this morning, if you're frustrated, don't, Don't condemn yourself. You haven't missed God. You're not outside of the will of the Father. Frustration is not some negative term. It's not something that the devil has created so that you're not one of God's children. No, frustration is the realization that I'm not experiencing everything he said I could. And so therefore, we become frustrated. We begin to have an emotional response to a perceived resistance. That is keeping me from fulfilling the will or the goal that's in my life. So when we begin to look at this, I want to go ahead and start, uh, Jason, let's go to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, verse 3. He's talking to, uh, you know what, Jason, can I just do 1 through 5? Can we do that real quick? Instead of just pulling that one out. Joshua chapter 1 verse 1. says, And after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, catch this, here's your prophetic word, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given it to you. All right. Already, it's done. He, it's yours. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness to Lebanon, as far as the great river and the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Look at this, verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Here's the prophetic word over Joshua's life. Now look at chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7, starting in verse 2. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of the Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up, spy out the country. So the men went up, spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Don't let all the people go up, but just let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai, and do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went up from there and the people, from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the, Verse 5, and the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from the, before the gate as far as somewhere else and struck them down. And check this out. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. So let's stop right here where we're at. God shows up and says, Joshua, I'm give, I've given you the land. It's already yours. Everywhere you put your foot, it's yours. So Joshua starts walking through the promised land, wrecking shop. Everywhere he goes, it's his we win. So much so that a chap, uh, in, I think, chapter 2, they're about to go somewhere, and that place sends people out and says, we're scared to death. We've heard what you're doing to people. We've heard what's going on. You're conquering everything you come in contact with. So we don't even want to fight you. We don't even want to deal with you. This is how much he's dominating, and he's going through. And then they come to this little place called Ai. Joshua and his team show up, and he puts his foot on the soil of what God said would be his, and he loses. This wouldn't be frustrating without the word. Because in battle, what do you think? You win some, you lose some. When you're fighting, you win some, you lose some. That's just kind of life. But Joshua had a word that I don't lose any. So because of the word now, Joshua is stepping back saying, wait a second. This ain't right. So the promise, the prophetic word was, anywhere you go, it's yours. Then Joshua shows up to a place that should become his, that should he should be able to conquer, then turn around and give to his inheritance. But he can't because he loses this battle. Verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said... Lord God, why? Out of his frustration, he began to ask the question, why? You said I'm supposed to win. You said everywhere I went, it was mine, and that didn't happen. Why? I think if we begin to understand that the prophetic word over your life is to win, you would be asking why more often when you don't. But the problem is, we don't expect to win them all. We don't expect to conquer everything. So when I fall, I just, well, you know, today just wasn't my day, and I just wasn't good enough, and I didn't do this, and I didn't do that. Instead of finding myself at an altar, saying, God, why? Why didn't I win today? Losing's not in your nature. Losing's not in your character. Coming up short is never what you designed me to do. Why have I found myself? And so it's The church is no longer frustrated with losing. And we're not frustrated with losing because deep down, that's just really what we expect. It just is. I want to hang around people that hate to lose. I want to hang around people that are willing to deal with the frustration when they lose that are willing to be honest and say, I don't like this. <laughs> this is not what he promised me. This is not the prophetic word. So I, I, I brought up my board this morning, and I, I apologize if you're sitting way back. It's going to be harder to see or on the sides, but I wanted to do this because I am a note taker and a teacher. I want us to be able to break this down together. So I want you to look at this because God began to show me this. We're going to deal with three categories of frustration, and I believe that all frustration in the body of Christ stems from one of these three categories, and we're going to look at how they come and how we deal with them. So first, we're going to start with, we know every frustration actually begins with a prophetic word. The prophetic word in your life is actually what brings the frustration. So next time somebody says they have a prophetic word for you, remember that. Next comes frustration. All right. So first, the one we just dealt with—the first prof- prophecy, the first promise for your life—is we win. Can y'all see that? Good enough. We win. This is the first prof- This is the first prophecy. I want to tell you something in your life. This is your prophetic word. You're designed to win. Don't ever buy into the compromising lie that says, sometimes I just don't do it. Sometimes I fall to that thing. Sometimes I give in to that cycle. Sometimes I give in to that thing. That's not what we were designed to do. Just because it's our experience doesn't mean it's our design. The design is so much greater than the experience. That's why after we already had the experience, he sent the new design. Oh, come on. I hope you're keeping up this morning. We already had the experience of failure, and God so hated it. He said, we're going to start over with a new design, and my new design knows no end. The, 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 the increase of his government, there shall be no end, and he does not lose, and he does not fail, and he does not come up short. This is the way I designed it. It's the very prophetic word that he gave to Joshua. So number one, we win. So that being said, where is the frustration in the church from not winning? Why are we not in rooms somewhere discussing the fact that we're not winning? Why are we not sitting down somewhere saying, have you noticed we're not advancing the kingdom like we're designed to? And I'm frustrated about it. I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated that the church is not growing and advancing and impacting. Why are we not having backroom meetings about this instead of backroom meetings about how can we spend this money and how can we put this there and how can we move this around? What about how do we advance the kingdom and why, why does AI keep getting the better of us? Why does it keep getting the best of us? Why are we not frustrated with these questions? Can I tell you if you are, if you've had the prophetic word over your life and you know you're supposed to win and you showed up this morning super frustrated, can I tell you you're exactly where you need to be? You're not out of the picture. You're not disowned by God. He's not mad at you because you're frustrated. As a matter of fact, I think God is applauding you for your frustration this morning because he's just looking for somebody. He's, He's searching to and fro. I need somebody that's tired of the way it is and frustrated with the way that it's happening so that they can stir the pot a little, shake things up a little bit because we are designed to win. And can I be honest with you this morning? I am frustrated with losing. frustrated with it. In high school me and Colby played basketball together. And we had a we ended up with a very good team just just surprisingly. <laughs> we we ended up good. And we we won a lot of games. And we went into a tournament one time. I'll never forget this. We went into a tournament. And we won and we won and we won and we got all the way up to the championship game and we lost. You remember that? We lost to a like Full court shot at the buzzer. They made it. It was just stupid. Can you tell I'm still frustrated? <laughs> Golly, that was 20 years ago. I don't know how long I've been out of school. We won all those games all the way up to it, and we lost the final game at the last seconds. And I was devastated. And people would come up to me after the game and be like, yeah, but think about, man, you won six games to get there. And I would think, I don't care. I I don't care. I will never be okay with losing. It will never be okay in any form or fashion. And when I'm done losing, I'm not going to be a good sport about it. I'm just going to be honest and real. You know what I hated doing more than anything is when we lost the game is shaking hands with the other team. I hated it so much. I'm just, hey, I got the mic today. So I just, because... I feel, I knew what we put in. I knew what our team had done to get there. And I went into every tournament thinking, I'm leaving with a trophy. I didn't show up to get player of the tournament or defensive player. of. No, I'm leaving with one trophy, and that trophy is tournament winner. That's all I wanted to settle for. You can ask Colby. We were so driven to win, and I feel like, I feel like too often we've just become okay with not winning. And we've just settled in and we've just become at ease. But can I tell you, I believe there's some people in this church who are frustrated right now. And you're frustrated because you don't feel like you're winning. That's where I want you. I want you this morning to admit I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated because it's not going like he said that it would go. I have a high expectation. The promise was we would win. So when I begin to look at this, Joshua experiences this loss and becomes very frustrated. But you know what Joshua doesn't do? He doesn't decide that the whole mission needs to be aborted. What happens is too often God promises you you're going to win that battle and then you lose that battle. The prophetic word comes out, you're going to be victorious, you're going to do whatever you're going to, and then it doesn't happen that way. So instead of figuring out what went wrong, we just abort the whole mission. Maybe I wasn't called to preach. Maybe I wasn't called to teach. Maybe I'm not a missionary. Maybe I'm not a prophet. Maybe I'm not a good mom. Maybe I'm not a good dad. Maybe I'm not this. Maybe I'm not that. And that begins to run through our minds. But I can't find anywhere in the scripture where Joshua thought at some point he wasn't supposed to conquer the land. He understood that in the moment this was just a block. What was the definition? This was just something that had blocked or denied what he wanted to get out of this thing. And so therefore he stepped back, fell before God and said, why? Why didn't we win? Why didn't it go the way it was prophesied to go? And so when we look at this, we begin to see, how do I navigate losing? How do I navigate the frustration of losing? Joshua begins to go into a time of prayer, fasting, seeking the face of God, and asking God the hard questions. Why? Why didn't we lose? I mean, why didn't we win? So I want you to begin to see this under, we win. So obviously losing. In any form or fashion, I hope you're filling these in, and I'm not going as deep into detail. But anything God has promised you to be able to do, overcome that addiction, overcome that bad mindset, overcome that negativity, whatever it may be in your life, you're called to win in that area. And if you haven't won in that area, then it's a loss. And that's what begins to create the frustration under this promise. And Joshua handled it with, I'm going to do just a basic seeking God and asking why can y'all read that I can barely read that how do you navigate the frustration of losing start asking God why you lost don't come up with excuses for why you lost well you know my dad he was a failure too I don't mean that I didn't mean that like <laughs> that sounded terrible after it came out. You know the old song, I come from a long line of losers. We always when we lose, that's what we do. Well, that's just my personality type. Well, from what I can tell, when you got saved, your personality got saved too. <laughs> or it should have. <clears throat> you see what I'm saying? But we instead of asking God why we lost, we start telling him why we lost. Well, I lost because you know, I didn't have a dad, or I lost because my mom was crazy, or I lost because I've been through this in my life. I lost because I was molested, or I lost because, and we start telling God all the reasons. This is why I lost. This is why I lost. And God is sitting in heaven saying, well, first of all, I know everything. So you don't have to tell me. But we're never asking him. Because from what I can tell in the Bible, people with jacked up parents and people that were messed up as kids and people that, they still won. I need that to sink in. Peter was jacked up, but he still won. You see what I'm saying? So it's not because of who you've been or what you were. That's not the reason you lost. The frustration needs you, to press, needs you to press in close enough to ask him, God, why did I lose? The second thing Joshua does, it's pretty amazing. If you go in, Joshua doesn't even get frustrated about the loss because of him losing. If you read on, he's frustrated with the loss because of how it looks on God's name. He literally goes on and says, God, if we lose, if we lose, what is they going to say about your name? Oh, this changes everything. This changes everything. See, because for us, it's, God, if I lose, I'm going to look bad in front of everybody. Joshua said, I don't care what I look like. God, what about your name? I want your name to be so glorified and so exalted. And when I lose the battle, you're not glorified. When I lose, you're not exalted. But when we win, it glorifies. So Joshua said, God, what about your name? Why am I losing? I did this for your name. It's about his name. And when churches are not winning, it's not glorifying his name. He said, "God, what about your what are we going to say?" <laughs> he said, "You realize if we lose then" and he starts naming guys. The I was going to try to name some, but good luck. All these enemies are going to hear that we lost. And he doesn't even mention himself. He says, "And when they hear that we lost, what are they going to say about your name?" What are they going to say about you, God? I'm not frustrated because I personally look bad when I'm losing. I'm frustrated because He deserves the honor and the glory of me winning. He deserves the honor and the glory of us being conquerors, overcomers, victorious, healthy, whole. He deserves it. It's it's for His name. It's not about life, church. It's not about if we win or lose. It's about what are we doing that's going to honor his name? What are we doing that's going to reflect on his name? So when I go out and act like a complete idiot in the community and they say, oh, well, don't he go to Life Church? I'm less worried about you here at Life Church and I'm more worried about wait a second, Life Church represents something way bigger than Life Church. It represents God. So what are they saying about his name? It's about his name. Mm. I'm sorry. He began to ask God why? God, what about your name? And then lastly, I'm just going to go super simple and then I'll explain it. I wrote, responded. God told him the problem, and he took care of it. God said, the reason you lost is because somebody sinned. Somebody kept something they shouldn't. Somebody hid something. Somebody did with something. So Joshua got up out of prayer and dealt with it. Don't go in and start asking why if you're not prepared to deal with the answer. If we go in and say, God, why aren't we winning? And he says, Because you're not obedient. And you're not ready to get up and be obedient. God, why ain't we advancing the kingdom? Because we don't pray. God, why ain't we advancing the kingdom? Because you don't love people well. If we're not ready to stand up and just deal with it, just get up and say, Okay, God, if this is the thing, it's dealt with. Joshua didn't wait. He didn't ponder around. He moved into, he must have, back then somehow he must have got a hold of Colby's, one of Colby's podcasts and heard Colby's teaching on swift, complete obedience. And he began to do just that. He got up and said, for your name's sake, I'm going to deal with the reason we lost. Not because I need another thing in my crown or I need some more more accolades or I need this or that. He said, I'm going to get up and deal with it because of what they're saying about your name. I want to I run with people that are frustrated when God's not glorified. I don't know how else to put that, but I want to run with people that it frustrates me when God's not exalted, when, he's not, when his name is not where it should be. So I said we're going to do it with three topics, three areas of frustration. A lot of people quit. Leave, give up, or just become silent entities because of the frustration of losing. Instead of just understanding that the frustration was what you needed to navigate yourself into winning. It's what you needed to move yourself forward. The second reason I think people either quit, leave, give up, go home, become silent, quit ministry, whatever it may be. The second thing is... Found in, where are we going, Jason? Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14, where would I tell you to start? 28. This is the story of Jesus walking on the water. Verse 28, and Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, prophesy to me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter came down on the boat, he walked on water. Can we just pause there for one moment? God said, get out of the boat. Peter immediately responds, gets out of the boat, and begins doing the impossible. Because of the rest of this story, I feel like we don't give Peter near enough credit for that. So the prophetic word was, you can walk on water. You can do what I'm doing. Come. There's your promise. There's your prophetic word. So Peter gets out of the boat and begins to do just that. In verse 30 it says, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus being the incredible man that he was, Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him, said to him, oh, you of little faith, the one who just walked on water. If his faith was little, how small is mine? Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when he got in the boat, the wind ceased, and those who were in the boat, they worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The second frustration, the second area that God began to show me was this. Jesus prophesied that Peter would do something incredible. I want to see how I got it wrote in my notes, just so I can stay on track here. And the second promise or prophecy was to walk in the supernatural. This is, this is a promise for the body of Christ. If you're a born-again believer full of the Holy Ghost, this is your prophecy, to walk in the supernatural. Peter said, bid me to come walk in an area that you can't walk in Naturally. And Jesus said, all right, so be it. Come, get out here, do it. So the prophetic word comes that I'm supposed to walk in the supernatural. Peter gets out, begins to walk, notices everything that's going on around him and begins to fall. He begins to sink. He begins to go down. Can you imagine the fear and the frustration of Peter thinking, You said I could do this. Jesus, you told me that if I got out here, I could do this. And now that I'm out here, I'm failing at it. The frustration. And on top of that, him being the only one that got out there, Jesus rebukes only him. And says, oh, you of little faith, why'd you doubt? Why did you doubt in the moment? And for me, Peter's got to be thinking, seriously? They didn't even get out of the boat. They were too scared to climb over the edge. I got out here. I actually did it. I actually came. And you're rebuking me of having little faith? If I have little faith, they must have no faith. You have to understand this has to be. Can you, can you, can you feel the frustration of Peter? Like I'm only out here because you called me out here. I can just feel the frustration of some people in the room saying, I'm only doing this because you called me out here to do it, and now I feel like I'm out here and I'm drowning in it. And I'm frustrated because I'm drowning out here where you called me to be, out here where you called me to come. The, The expectation was to be able to walk in a supernatural realm that no one else had walked in. But the reality quickly became him drowning in the very thing he was called to walk on. And the frustration of knowing God called me to this. I went through this for a year of feeling like I was drowning in the very thing he called me to be in. I didn't ask to be a minister. I didn't ask to be a pastor. I didn't ask to be in anything like this. As a matter of fact, if you ask my parents and my wife, I was avoiding it at all costs because I grew up in it. I knew what it was about. I've seen it all. I know it, and he called me and supernaturally gave me something, the ability to get out there and begin to do it, only to me find myself feel like I'm drowning in the very thing he called me to be able to do. And do you want to know why it's frustrating? Because I had a high expectation of what I should be able to do when he calls me out there. It wouldn't have been frustrating if my expectations would have been super low. If my expectations were to never really, never really be a minister, never really have an impact Never really see a school change, never really see a youth group grow, never really see a church experience revival. If none of those would have been my expectations, that I would have never experienced the frustrations that I found myself in. But I expected to walk on water. I expected it for it to be bigger than anything else. I expected for it to grow, and then all of a sudden I find myself drowning in the thing he called me into, and I was frustrated. I was frustrated. I feel you this morning. Some of you feel like you're drowning in the very thing he's asked you to do, and you're just frustrated. Like, God, I stepped out because you said. You said, come. You said, get out of the boat. And now I'm out here, and to be honest, it just feels like I'm drowning. And then Jesus gives him the pep talk. Oh, you have little faith. If you wouldn't have doubted, you could have done it. I think based on that statement that if Peter wouldn't have sank, him and Jesus would have just walked the rest of the way to the shore. They would have never got back in the boat. He said, if you, if you hadn't doubted. So Peter finds himself in this place. Can you imagine the rest of the boat ride? <laughs> you, ever, you remember when you were a kid, and as soon as you get in the car to go somewhere, your parents get on to you and whip you or whatever it may be, and, you're just, and then you have to ride the whole way there, and you're just mad. Like, I don't want to be in this car. I don't want to be around y'all. I was actually trying to do this. It's just real. (laughs) Kind of reminds me of when you and your family are getting ready to go to church on Sunday morning and you fight the whole way there, but then you get there and you have to be presentable to everybody. Peter gets back in the boat and has the rest of the boat ride to ponder and think about what just took place. Because I don't know if you realize it. They didn't hop in the truck and just fly to the next place. They were in a boat with a sail pushing them across the water. So all night long Peter has to ponder you called me out there and then I sank. I'm just going to let it settle in the room. The frustration of I'm only doing it because you called me out here. I'm only even attempting to pray for somebody because you said I could. I'm only attempting to give a word of knowledge because you said I could. And now I feel like I'm out here drowning in it and it's not working and we're not operating in the level we're supposed to be. I'm only attempting to pray for that person because you said they could be healed. So I need you to see that this can I know this can almost sound like like a rebuke like I'm getting on to you but what I'm trying to turn your mind to see is that if you're frustrated because it's not then it's the witness that your expectation has gone to a level that it's never been before. And if you're frustrated because they're not getting healed then that believe, that means you've moved into an expectation that they should be healed. And I would rather I would rather help you through your frustration than beg you to believe for something. My dad has told me all my life, I would rather you break something for working too hard than you to break nothing because you won't work at all. That's what I'm talking about. I would rather have to go clean up the mess of your frustration than have to beg you to please be a good Christian. I want people who are moving forward and anytime you're in progress, anytime you're being progressive and moving and, and going up, there's going to be frustrations. How many times, us four right here, have we sat down with the company and been so frustrated because it's just not going where I want it to go. I should have a million dollars in the bank by now. Okay, that's a, little, <laughs> that's a little excessive. But you see what I'm saying? But we just be frustrated trying to figure, until finally we have to stop and say, okay, We know he called us to do this. We know he asked us to start this business. So we need to go back to where it started and figure out what did he say, how did he say it, and where did I quit hearing what he was saying? Because at some point, like Peter, you had to have focused on something else. See, what happened was he called me into a successful business, and then I started looking at money. And the problem is you think money is the only thing that makes it successful. Let me rephrase that. I thought money was the only thing that made it successful. And so when I took my eyes off the word he gave me of a successful business and put it on what I thought was success, the business started to drown me. And then I realized I'm only here because you asked me to be here, and now I feel like I'm drowning in it. When in reality, if I would have just turned back, the frustration of knowing I'm called to walk in the supernatural, but I feel like I'm sinking in it instead. Drowning in it instead. So what happened? What happened after this? How did he? How does Peter navigate something so drastic? Something so? Do I need you to? I need you to understand the magnitude of the two differences here. He goes from walking on water, not teaching a sermon, not giving a word, walking on water. To sinking and being rebuked, that quick. Can you imagine the the whirlwind and the frustration of oh my gosh, what do I do now? I thought I was doing so good, and then this happened, and then the pastor rebuked me. Of course, probably not our pastor. He don't really rebuke people. <laughs> you get what I'm saying, but except Jennifer. But uh, <laughs> well, you see what I'm saying. He's going through all this, the frustration, and I begin to think, what happened to Peter after this? Like, what do we see next? And what's incredible is if you love the Bible and you pay attention to what's happening. In verse fourteen, in chapter 14, this happens and he's rebuked. Well, then you look over two chapters later after he spent some time with Jesus doing some incredible teaching. Two chapters over, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Did I give you that, Jason? I may, I may have forgot that one, I'm sorry. Two chapters over, we see this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples saying, who do men say that I am, that I the son of man am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or, one of the, or the, one of the prophets. And he said, but who do you say that I am? And guess who speaks up? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this, but my father who is in heaven. And I say to you, that you are Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church, and you know the rest of the thing. So we go from Peter falling and sinking in the water, being rebuked by Jesus, to being the only disciple that can properly give the revelation of who he is. What happened? That's good. He brought his focus back. What did he do? He took the frustration of falling in the water And dove into the revelation of Jesus Christ. He didn't decide, maybe this just means we're not supposed to do that anymore. He didn't come up with a cessation of the gifts. We don't walk in the supernatural. People don't get healed. That was just for the apostles. No, he didn't didn't settle for none of that. He said, if he said I could walk on water, then it wasn't his fault that I didn't. So he begins to do something between this time he begins to seek because he says, this revelation can only come from my father. So what does that mean Peter was doing from the boat trip to this time when they ended up alone? He was going after the father. He began to seek the father until he, be, until he was given a revelation of Jesus Christ. How do we deal? How do we navigate the frustration of feeling like you're drowning in the supernatural instead of walking in it? you begin to go to the Father and say, I need a revelation of Jesus Christ. I need a revelation of who He is. Why? Because the revelation of Jesus Christ became the catalyst for the revelation of who He was. And He was Peter. When He tried walking on the water, He was still Simon. But His failure in the supernatural created a frustration that sent Him to the Father. And the the going to the Father became the revelation of who Jesus is. And the revelation of Jesus, who Jesus is changed the identity of who Simon was. Come on, do you feel me? Don't give up on the supernatural because you feel like you're drowning in it right now. If Colby running with him has taught me anything... Don't quit praying for the sick person. Don't quit praying for the hurting person. Don't quit asking for words of knowledge. Don't quit asking for supernatural signs and wonders. We have been called and prophesied to live in the supernatural. And because we as a church expect it, we will have to deal with frustrations that other people will not. We'll have to navigate situations that other people will not. This is why in a spirit field, passionate, progressive church, you will have to deal with more fires and frustrations than you would in a church who has no plan to do anything. So I would rather deal with your frustration than go to a dead church. I would rather deal with you being upset and I can't figure out why as long as it's because you just want his name to be glorified. I'll deal with the frustrations, Kenny. We'll sit down and we'll go back and forth and we'll figure it out. We'll figure out what's going wrong. So we have to be careful because we'll step back and say, yeah, but all this is going on. All this is going on because we're expecting something so much bigger, and we're frustrated because it's not. Preachers and teachers are not getting up here frustrated with you. Hear me this morning. When that happened between me and Courtney, she immediately began to say, I'm sorry, I don't want to be the bad guy. I don't. And I had to turn and say, I'm not frustrated with you. I'm frustrated with not having what I expected to have. So can I tell you, church, if us teachers, preachers, prophets, whoever gets up here, and you feel like I'm frustrated with you, I'm not. I'm just frustrated because I know the kingdom of heaven is way bigger than this, and it's way better than this, and I'm not mad at you. I'm just frustrated because I want the real thing. I want the real kingdom of God. I want real revival that changes a parish. I want the real thing. I'm not frustrated at you. I'm not mad at you. I'm just frustrated that right now we're not accessing everything that I know is in the account. And I want it all. I want, I want to live and walk in the supernatural. And even though it's felt like in times past, I've drowned in it. I've failed and crashed and burned so many times, I want it to just push me into the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the, the frustration of course, would be sinking. We're going to go here. It's not walking in that supernatural. But what do we do? Seek a revelation of Jesus Christ. Mm. This is the answer. Peter goes from so frustrated to seeking the revelation of Jesus Christ and it changes who he was. He goes from Simon to Peter, and the catalyst for that transformation came from the frustration of failure. The frustration of failure is not when you jump ship. It's not when you quit and get out. It's not when you go. Peter didn't say, you know what? Maybe I'm not one of the 12. Maybe it just wasn't for me. You know, he missed it. I'm the wildest one. I don't really fit in this bunch. No, 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 no. Peter began to understand from his frustration, there must be a revelation I don't have yet. There must be an understanding of him that I haven't accessed yet, and when I access that revelation, it began to change who he was. Third frustration. Third and final one. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. I could actually pull a lot of scriptures on this, but I'm going to use this specific one just for the sake of time. Matthew chapter 10 verse 1, and when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them the power over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now I know that sounds like we're just doing the same one again, walking the supernatural. But I need you to know, I need you to know the difference here. The first one was walking in a supernatural and he was just dealing with Peter, one single person. Right here he's dealing with the whole group, he's dealing with the community. The third frustration that we experience so much is because we know the prophetic word says we're supposed to live in a supernatural community. It's not just supposed to be a few superheroes within the group, but we're all supposed to be living in a supernatural community. So our third and final one, the top, your prophetic word, your promise would be supernatural community. If you're taking notes, which I know you are, The third promise. And if you're a very driven, ambitious, spirit-filled person, this one can be very frustrating. (laughs) As a matter of fact, this one can probably be the most frustrating because this is the main one that brings in the people around you. The first one is so personal. The first two, really, are so personal. You're called to win. You're designed to be a winner. We are the head and not the tail. We are overcomers. We are first and not the last. We are designed to win. The second one, you personally, every single person in this room, no one is exempt. You are prophesied and promised to walk in the supernatural. All of us, every single one of us. But then the third one, you're also called to be part of a supernatural community. Not a group of people who get together once a week to sing songs, hear a word, and then go back to life. But we're prophesied to be a supernatural community. So this is in chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10. He gives this this prophetic word, I'm going to call it, this commission of this supernatural community. And then we see in Matthew 17... Uh, let's see, where are we going? Matthew 17, 14. Remember, chapter 10, prophet, uh, supernatural community. Matthew chapter 17. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is epileptic, and suffers severely, for he often falls into the water and the fire. So I brought him to your community. Mm. I brought him to the church brought him to what's supposed to be the body of Christ. I brought him to your community, but they couldn't help him. And Jesus said, you, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long am I going to be with you? How long do I have to bear with you? Bring him to me. Can you feel Jesus' frustration? Jesus said, Man, I've given you years of my life at this point. I've commissioned you. I've given you the Spirit of God. I've prophesied over you. I've demonstrated in front of you. I've did everything. I've did it all. And now they've brought this boy that needs help to the community. And the community couldn't help him. And Jesus is frustrated. He's like, he's talking to his disciples and he says, you perverse and faithless generation. <laughs> Jesus is frustrated. And he's like, how long do I have to keep doing this? How long do I have to keep showing you and keep coming back and keep teaching them and keep slapping your hand and keep directing your steps? And keep do- how long do I have to keep doing this? Just bring him to me. Just bring him here. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out. And the child was cured at that very moment. Remember in Matthew chapter 10, he gave them the power over unclean spirits to cast them out. They brought the boy and we couldn't help him. But in 10, he said, I had the power to cast this out. And 10, he said, you have the power. If there's an unclean spirit, you cast it out. Chapter 17, they bring the boy with the unclean spirit, and the community can do nothing about it, and Jesus is frustrated. He's frustrated. It's frustrating when you have such high expectations to be a part of such an incredible community, but you don't see it. It's tough. It's tough when you invest so much and you put so much time and effort into it and you've given so much and you've poured yourself out so much and you have such high expectations only to see time and time again someone come to the community that needs help and we don't have the answer. It's frustrating. It's frustrating when you know the level that we're designed to be living on and you know we're supposed to be operating in the supernatural and seeing the signs, wonders, and miracles of God and things happening, but we can't get past petty differences that we're fighting and arguing about amongst ourselves. It's frustrating. It's frustrating to stand here and think, I'm trying to see the kingdom of God come. I'm trying to see lives delivered. I want to see the kingdom of God advance in ways that we can't even imagine. And you're disputing over a petty difference. It's frustrating. It's really frustrating. It's frustrating when you're putting in the work and you're, you're going and you're witnessing, you're loving people the best that you can. You're doing all you can to affect your community. You're giving in every situation and circumstance you can. You're trying to be available for anyone and everyone only to get into the community and hear someone's opinion about how someone in our community did them. It's frustrating. We're putting it all out there today. It's frustrating. You know why it's frustrating? Because I expect so much. And you can take that as a negative. You can take it however you want. But when I read the Bible, I expect the church that Jesus died for. I expect the family that he designed. I don't expect petty, small Carnal and fleshly things to split churches and divide people so that the kingdom of God cannot be advanced and so that his name becomes a name associated with our pettiness. I can't, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. It's frustrating to know that we're called to prophesy into people and see their lives forever changed, but we can't get to the prophesying part because we can't get past the gossiping part. It's frustrating. It's frustrating because you can't gossip and prophesy. You have to pick one or the other. You can't, you can't have uh, sour water and sweet water come out of the same mouth. So if you choose to gossip, you've chosen not to prophesy. And if we don't prophesy, how are they gonna hear us? How they're gonna be changed. I'm frustrated. Can you feel me this morning? I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated because all this pettiness that happens and goes on. And Joshua was saying, God, what are they going to say about you? Not what are they going to say about life, church. You know why? One day all this will be gone. All this will be gone. And you know the only thing that will remain is his name. So I want to invest in the one thing that will be eternal. We were called to be in a supernatural community. That means all of you. How many times have I taught everyone plays a part? Each each joint supplying what is needed so that the body grows into the full stature of Jesus Christ. It's the design. It's the plan. It's the prophetic word over our body. So let me reiterate. Sometimes leaders and pastors and prophets and prayer warriors are not frustrated with you. We're frustrated because we know what the body is supposed to look like. We know what the family is designed to be. And I'm not frustrated with you personally. I'm just frustrated with the fact that this body is not glorifying the name of God by being a supernatural community. From what I've studied... And if I'm wrong, someone let me know. From what I've studied, this is the last time a need was brought to the church that couldn't be met. I can't find another place in the Bible where they brought a need to the body of Christ and that need didn't get met. Whether it was healing, deliverance, financial, whatever it was, this is the last time. Why? What changed? So if the last and final one is a supernatural community, then the failure would be, I'm going to abbreviate that, the community couldn't help. The frustration is when you know what the community should be, but the community is in a position where it can't even help. It's not supernatural, it's not spiritual. That Sunday morning is just that ritual, that thing we do, that thing we go through, that thing that happens. And we just get through it and we check it off of our list. Can I tell you, nothing frustrates me more than feeling like you're a part of a group who's just trying to get through a Sunday. I got a lot I could be doing. It's frustrating. So I begin to look If this is where we were at, Jesus was frustrated. But guess what he did not do? He did not leave the community. He did not give up on the church. He didn't lay down his ministry. He didn't say, I need to take some things off my plate. He didn't do any of these things. Frustration did not become his excuse to be quiet. It did not become his excuse to give up. It did not become his excuse to walk away. It did not become any of those things. But instead, he began to show us how to navigate the, the frustration of wanting to be in a supernatural community. And I began to look and say, what happened? What happened? Look at Matthew chapter 26. I'm not going to read all that. That's a lot. I put, did I put those in there? Okay, good. That's probably why, because it's a ton. Matthew 26 is where Jesus, the headings are, celebrates his disciples at the Passover, institutes the Lord's Supper, and serves them. Watch this. For six chapters after that moment, Jesus begins to go into some crazy teaching. Like, I mean, you go read it's like every chapter solid read. Solid red, solid red. Jesus seen a community that wasn't operating in the supernatural level it was designed to. And he didn't walk away from the community. He said, I'm going to bring revelation that changes the community. So he begins to spend six chapters teaching this. But what I want you to show, I was telling dad, I did this. I tried to do a breakdown of a timeline. I know this is probably going to sound really nerdy, but this is what I began to do. We know Jesus was in ministry for about three years give or take a little bit. The book of Matthew is 28 chapters long. You can't use the last chapter because that's the crucifixion, the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, all that, him coming back, talking to his disciples. You can't use the first three chapters because the first three chapters are just leading up to him starting his ministry in Galilee. And so if you break that down, so now we're down to 24 chapters. So we have 24 chapters of ministry from Jesus in the book of Matthew. And if he ministered for three years, then you're looking at about eight chapters per year. Now, you can't break it down to that exact, but you have to understand that when you read from one chapter to the next, and it feels like this happened right after this, that it actually, eight chapters would have been a process of at least, at least one year, okay? So why is this so important? Because I feel like one of the other frustrations that I'm not dealing with today is your timeline. People are always frustrated about timelines. But look, in chapter 17, is that what it was? In 17, he becomes, yes, in 17, this happens and Jesus is frustrated because the community is not operating on a supernatural level. That's in chapter 17. He spends six chapters teaching and one chapter celebrating and serving his disciples. So if you were to break that down, Jesus spent the next 10 to 14 months teaching and then wrapping that up with celebrating and serving the same community he was frustrated with. The same group that he said, you faithless generation, how long do I have to bear with you? How long do I have to keep doing this? How long do I have to keep coming back to you? Jesus finds himself in this frustration and the answer to getting the supernatural community that he expected to live in, we find him spend the next, from what I can estimate, 10 to 14 months teaching, celebrating, and serving that community. And then all of a sudden that community turns into the most effective and powerful thing that has ever graced this planet. Why? Because in the moment of frustration with the community, Jesus didn't say, this is my exit. This is when I give up. This is when I get quiet. This is when I quit ministering. This is when I take some things off my plate. He didn't say any of those things. Instead, he turned around and he began to teach, celebrate, celebrate, and serve the very community that he was frustrated with. And that community became a powerhouse. That being said, I, I want to just share with you and just being totally honest about, man, I don't even remember how long ago it was now. It's been years. I found myself in this place. I was frustrated with this community. Can I just be honest with y'all? And when I say this community, I mean us here, Life Church. I was frustrated. You can ask Colby. I sat down with Colby and Scott in a coffee shop and had just about made up my mind, I'm gonna find another one. <laughs> I was I was being influenced and hearing the impact of several communities that were just uh, just families of churches that were just, it looked like they were just impacting and growing and exciting. And I thought, That's what I'm doing. I'm supposed to leave this community. I'm supposed to gear up with one of those that's doing everything I know the church should be doing. Because my expectation for the community is so high. How much do I teach on family and community and working together? And it was just, I was just to this point and I thought I was going to leave. And it come down to the point of me finally, looking back now, that is actually when I went from that frustration into some of the greatest teaching series that I personally have ever got to be involved in. That's when we started teaching on family. Some of the other things we got to, us when I started, did some teaching on prayer and had the vision and things like that. It came from those moments. So I came this morning with a specific word for you guys today to let you know that if you're frustrated in one of these three areas, or maybe you're frustrated in all three of these areas, Maybe right now you're feeling the frustration of not winning like you know you should, not walking in the supernatural like you know that you should, and not being in a community that is a supernatural community. You're feeling the frustration of all those things. It's not the time to move. It's not the time to quit. It's not the time to pull out or jump ship or lay down things or walk away from stuff. No, 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 no. It's the time to learn by the Holy Spirit how do I navigate this frustration how does this frustration become the thing that turns me into who I'm supposed to be? I I, I know this is kind of crazy and it's just what came to my mind when I was praying through this this week because it, it really does become that frustration that builds you into, if that frustration is navigated right, it builds you into what you're really supposed to be, to living in the expectation that you know you're supposed to have. And uh, there's a movie uh, the newer King Arthur movie. Uh, I love this movie. It's one of my favorite. And uh, at the end of it, he meets the the guy that he's been against, trying to kill him all his life. You know, he meets at the end for the big fight scene. And the guy, the other guy, the enemy, is so powerful and he's so strong, but he cannot beat King Arthur. And he finally asks him, he's like, "How? Out of everything you went through, all of the." Just his life, everything was against him, and he kept rising above it and becoming better and doing this. And he finally said, who made you into this? Who made you who you are? And King Arthur looks at him and says, you did. And I was just thinking about that when I was praying this week. I want to get to the end of this thing. And I want to look back at the frustration and every time the enemies tried to block me and deny me and frustrate me and pull me down. and I want to be able to look back at the end and not be defeated and not be beat down. But I want to be able to look back and say, you made me into this. Because every time the frustration came, I went to the Father and I found out how to navigate it and I found out how to grow and I didn't get offended and I didn't fall into self-condemnation. I didn't go into those things. Instead, I began to find out how do I navigate this by the spirit? How do I go to the father and get a revelation of Jesus Christ? How do I begin to pour back into the community and teach and love and serve and celebrate until it explodes into the community that I know it's supposed to be? I want to get to that point. That's the level of expectation I want to live with. So my prayer has changed through the week of no longer asking God to remove the frustration, but to teach me how to navigate it. So that we can become what we expect. In no way am I asking you to lower your expectations because you're frustrated. That's the last thing you need to do. Too often that's the easiest answer. Maybe my expectations are too high. Let me lower my expectations and then I won't be frustrated all the time. I don't want to lower them. I want to navigate the frustration correctly so that we get to live in that, so that we get to go from glory to glory, from faith to faith. So I want to, I want to wrap this up with this. Several weeks back now, probably a month, Prophet Angel Martinez came, and he poured out some prophetic words, some direction, some promises And it was easy to leave that Sunday jacked up on the high of the promise. Because the promise is exciting. The promise will geek you up. and You're ready to go and you're ready to do. But the promise is often followed by the frustration. And what we see a lot of times is the explosion of the promise. And then we see the dwindling from Frustration. And what was so big and exciting at one time, the frustration navigated improperly brings us back down. And you'll start finding reasons to disqualify what he said about you. Well, maybe, you know, maybe this, maybe that, maybe it was whatever. Don't lower your expectations. If God said it was going to happen for you, keep it. Keep your hopes up. Keep your expectations high. The frustration's coming, don't give up for them. Don't walk away from the community because you're frustrated with it. Can I tell you, if you're frustrated with this community, several other people are too. <laughs> it just is what it is. How do we move into what we're called to be? Do we still live with the expectation that our community is supposed to look like this? Do we still hold this as the blueprint and the standard of what we're supposed to live in, then why are we not frustrated that it don't look like this? And if you are frustrated, let me tell you, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I applaud the level of your expectation. Now find out how to navigate it. If you have to find someone that's ahead of you in the journey, someone that maybe has a little more wisdom or time, or understanding, and begin to ask some questions. Begin to figure some things out. Do not let the frustration become the thing that moves you to a position that you shouldn't be in, or, or, or frustrates you so much you just shut down. You're still here, but you're just shut down. Don't let it do any of those things. Figure out how to let it become the motivation. So I want you to know, my commitment to you that even though I have experienced my own frustrations with the community that God has placed me in, I'm giving you my word that I'm not going anywhere. I'm not gonna shut up, Kenny. I'm not gonna lay things down and give up on things. I'm gonna do like my master. I'm gonna follow his ways and I'm gonna keep teaching. I'm gonna keep celebrating you and I'm gonna keep serving you in every way that I can. Until I see this community begin to become everything we've been promised. And we are promised to be powerful. We are promised to live in revival. Stand up, I want to pray with you. I want to pray corporately as the supernatural community that we are. Your frustration has to become motivation starting today. It has to become the thing that makes you better, faster, stronger, more spiritual, more loving, more kind. That frustration has to be that thing that pushes you. Because if you let your frustration push you to God, he will always bring you to be more of those things. One... I'm just going to throw this out there as some pastoral advice because I've learned this the hard way and I've seen it happen the hard way and I've seen it go the good way. When you're dealing with communal frustration, you have to be extremely careful of who you vent that frustration to. Jesus didn't pull one of the disciples aside and be like, hey, James is getting on my nerves. Of course, it probably wouldn't have been James. Peter's getting on my nerves. Instead, he just told Peter, like, Peter, you're a devil. Shut up and get behind me. I'm not telling you to do that either. It probably wouldn't go over great. But I'm just saying this out of my heart for this family and for this community and for each and every one of you. You have to be so careful when you want to vent communal frustrations. I'm not saying that your frustration is wrong, and I'm not saying your frustration is a lie. As a matter of fact, it's probably very true. It's probably very true. You're probably frustrated with someone who said this or did this, and it really happened, and it's really real. But we have to be careful that we don't allow the frustration to become the cancer or the... The thing that can start spreading or hurting more people than it has to. Jesus' only response to this communal frustration was to turn around and begin to teach and celebrate and serve. Did he call the disciples out on their stuff? Yes, he did. (laughs) Yes, he did. So I'm just putting this out to you today be very careful. Be very careful. And also stop and think Am I really frustrated with a certain person and what they did? Or am I just frustrated because I have an expectation that everything should be higher than this? Don't be careful that we don't put flesh and blood to our spiritual frustration. Be very careful. Because your frustration is more spiritual than you think. So don't express it in a carnal way. Does that make sense? You feel me on that? I've been there. I've done it all. I've done it from every point of view. And we grow and we learn from things. But I'm just so convinced. I'm just really, really convinced that we're called to live in a supernatural community. Yes, sir. The word. And and I I want that so bad. I want it so bad. I know I got you on your feet. Let's pray. Father, I first of all, I'm thankful for the frustrations that I'm feeling right now. Yes, I understand that it's you revealing that there's another level of faith. There's that it's bigger than this. It's, it's, it's bigger than this. So God, I, I, I want to learn today, we as a body, we as a family this morning, we want to learn how to navigate the frustrations of living on a new level. How do I navigate the frustration of the, the loss that I'm experiencing in my life? What do I begin to do when I realize I'm not excelling in the supernatural that I'm designed to live in? Father, show us, teach us, bring us into that place. And Father, I pray for a new level of expectation in the body of Christ for the supernatural community that we are designed to be. God, we are designed to be a community that every hurting, broken, uh, diseased, uh, addicted, lost person can be brought to this community. And we have the answer any of us. They don't have to bring them to a superstar or the one person that knows how to pray. They don't have to bring them to the one person that's been fasting and praying and and reading their Bible. Not the one person. Just bring them to the community. Just bring them to the community. Just bring them to the community. I want to live in that community. (coughs) Father, bring us into a place where when Mary's experience something like they did, they know there's a community they can go to where it'll be celebrated. It'll be taught. It'll be exciting. It'll be what she needs to begin to cultivate the thing that's inside of her. Let us become that community. Let us not be a community that crushes dreams and crushes hopes. Let us not be a community that's so petty with differences that people can't arise and become everything that you have called them to be. But let this be a supernatural community, Father. Father, I pray for a house that they can bring any need they have and that need can be met by this supernatural community. Father, I thank you for it this morning. Lastly, I pray for every person in this building right now that's dealing with these frustrations. You haven't known what to do. You haven't known what to say. You've been fighting it, not understanding it. I declare right now that the Holy Spirit is drawing you into a deeper revelation of Jesus Christ, that you need to press your way into him. Don't share it with anybody. Don't talk to anyone. Don't go to any person. Just press into the face of Jesus Christ. Figure out who he is. And as you begin to get the revelation of Jesus Christ in your life, he will then begin to give you the revelation of who you are in him and you will become the person that has been prophesied over you that you will begin to walk in the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ we thank you for it this morning thank you for it Jesus in Jesus name this supernatural family said amen I love you guys thank you for listening to this life church podcast